Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Blessed be the name. Thankful to be in the house of the Lord. You can be seated this morning. We spent the last few services discussing and studying Jesus' most prolific parables. We know that parables are stories whether they're written or whether they're verbal, that have a spiritual application. And so far, we've covered the parables of the debtors, the two debtors. We've talked about Jesus' proclivity to forgive us of our sins. We've talked about the two talents and our responsibility in the kingdom after we have been grafted in. And last week, Brother Williams talked to us about the prodigal son in that restoration that God is so willing to provide. And so today we'll spend just a few moments, hopefully a few moments, discussing the final iteration of our study, and we'll talk about the rich man and Lazarus. If you'll join me in the book of Luke, chapter 16, we'll read one verse of Scripture, and we're kind of at the tail end or the end of the parable, and, and we'll we'll. We'll come back to this and we'll, we'll spend some time in, in the 16th chapter of Luke this morning. Luke 16 and 31, the Bible says, And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And so for just a few moments this morning, we're talking about parables of kingdom truths. And we're going to wrap this study up from the subject of for a season, for a season. He said, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if somebody is risen from the dead. Seasons come and seasons go. And life has a way of changing seemingly on a dime. As human beings, we we will likely experience every season of life. We'll experience the highs and the lows. We'll, we'll experience seasons of plenty and seasons of not so plenty. We will undergo, and by the power of God, we have the ability to overcome. Seasons can be roller coasters. Seasons of life can sometimes be overwhelming while at others they're relatively without taxation. There are seasons. Seasons that are up, seasons that are down, in and out. However, no matter the season and no matter the circumstance, there is no more valuable a season than the one that you are in right now. Let me explain. Perhaps it's simply our humanity. But we all have the ability to judge our future by our current circumstance or season. 
But the most significant mistake that any of us could either can even make in this room today is to judge our next season by the one in which we currently reside. Because no matter the season and no matter the circumstance that we locate ourselves in in this life, the most absolute important approach that we can take is to not allow ourselves to trust in the season, no matter what it is. Rather, we must place our trust in the one who calls the seasons. Our existence is temporary, and it's wrapped with seasons that will vary by degree, and the only inevitability is where this existence ends and where eternity begins. And so this morning, let's take a look at a parable. We're going to talk about a very important portion of Scripture, a very prolific parable that Jesus spoke. His sprawling palatial mansion likely took up both sides of the street, a stately manor. It was supported by pillars and surrounded by gates. Emblazoned on the side of his mailbox is simply a rich man. The side of this residence with its flowing fountains and flourishing flower gardens would simply take our breath away. But there is one feature that just doesn't seem to fit. There's something or perhaps someone that just doesn't seem to belong in the splendor of this earthly estate. Lying just beyond the outskirts of the iron gate is a frail beggar. And we will come to know him by his name. Lazarus, just a frail beggar, a common name in a first century world. But the name Lazarus literally means God will help. But for some reason, it just doesn't seem that at the moment God is helping this Lazarus. In his current condition, his body is ravaged with a disease that has sapped his strength and left sores in its wake, everything he owns can be easily stuffed into a duffel bag with plenty of room to spare. And as we see in the onset of what we are talking about today, we can see the stark polarity of the lives that these two men lead. Lazarus has nothing, while the rich man seemingly has everything that he could ever want or even need. The rich man is covered in opulence. Lazarus is exposed to the elements Lazarus is dirt poor. The rich man is filthy rich. But Lazarus has something this morning that meets, that's, that's more than meets our, our naked, our human eye. I, Lazarus has something that we just really can't see on the surface. Lazarus has something this morning that money cannot buy or some want that a commodity cannot cure. He may not have two shekels to buy his own bread, but at some point Lazarus lifted up his eyes higher than the season or the circumstance that he's found himself in and realized the need that temporary riches simply could not afford. Lazarus realized his need to get right with God and Lazarus realized his need to be right for eternity and Lazarus lifted up his voice and cried to God and God saved him. We know this because we know this story. It's known as the great reversal. Both of these men, though 
They led very different lives, found commonality in the eventuality of the human existence. They both met an appointment with death. Lazarus likely didn't have a funeral. In fact, the Bible only alludes to the fact that he died. But the rich man, the Bible says, was buried. There wasn't a preacher to eulogize what a good man Lazarus was. In fact, a song was often sung over beggars of the city as they put them proverbially to rest. They would sing the song, rattle his bones over the stones. He's but a pauper whom nobody owns. You see, it's very likely that Lazarus wasn't buried. In fact, he was probably taken on a cart loaded with the other trash of the city and dumped into a mass grave that was not really meant to be a grave. It was meant for trash. It was a heaping dump of bones with other beggars. You see, Lazarus lived a less than meager existence on earth and had his death was further treated as nothing by others. But I'm going to say it again. Lazarus had something far better than anything that could be had on this earth. Lazarus had something far better than a finely decorated tomb because Lazarus was right with God and Lazarus was ready for eternity. And because of it, the Bible says that he was carried by the angels. His body may have been carried on a cart, but his soul was carried by the angels into the arms of Abraham, Jesus said. The Jews had... Very few precious heroes that they admired more than Abraham, the father of the faithful. And Lazarus was carried to him and able to rest close to the heart of the one he knew as fathers. Can I tell you this morning, we, we stand with the same opportunity that's been presented to us today. We can repent of our sins and we can be baptized in the only saving name of Jesus and we can be filled with his spirit and it will matter very little of what we had or what we did not have in this earth because there is absolutely no more important a matter here today than our eternal salvation there is no activity there is no commodity there there's no gain and there's no loss on this earth more important than making heaven my home and when we have secured that salvation and when we have obeyed that word it won't matter what we lacked here because we have heaven to gain let's talk about that for a moment this morning it's heaven it's heaven. It's not a fantasy. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a story that we tell our children like a fable to try to help them go to sleep at night. It's not something that we tell ourselves to help us feel better about our lives here on earth. No, it's a real place. It's heaven. It's a place where we'll never grow old. It's a place where there'll be no more sorrow and there'll be no more pain. There will be no more lacking or want. It's heaven where there's no more fear and no more worry as anxiety and depression and addiction simply are vanquished in the love of the eternal presence of the living God. It's heaven where the streets are pure gold, where the gates are precious pearls and the walls are jasper too. It's a heavenly city that is more sufficient for billions of believers to call it home. It's a place that is sufficient for us. It is a place 
place where the problems that that plague us in this life will not even be in our distant memory. But that's not all. That's not the only thing that's going to make heaven heaven. That's not the only list of things that's going to make it the place that we want to be. Those are not the only things that will make it heaven. Because heaven will be heaven. Not because what is there. But heaven will be heaven because of who is there. His name is Jesus. He's the one who created He's the one who died and he is the one who prepared the place and he is the one who is emphatically without delay coming back to take his church away. We will rest from all our labors. We will be distant from all our stumbles and our struggles and with unveiled faces we will finally see the one who saved us by his grace we will see Jesus and we will sing the song of the ages worthy 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 is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and we will sing it for eternity that's heaven don't you want to go that's heaven Although Lazarus was plagued by sickness and although poverty had stricken him on earth, he was beyond blessed in heaven. But there's an opposite that we cannot afford to miss. There's an opposite that we cannot afford to forget. You see, clothed in what would be compared to the most lavish and the most extravagant clothing of our day, The rich man, the Bible says, was clothed in purple and fine linen. Jesus said in Luke 16 and 19 that he fared sumptuously every day. That word sumptuously simply means he was in a good frame of mind. He had no worry. He had no struggle. He could just answer it with his own means. Nevertheless, there was something that his fortune had no ability to postpone there was something that his fortune had no ability no ability to buy and that was more time because the appointment was inevitable and it would be without delay it was true that his funeral was well attended the eulogy could be read perhaps multiple pages and line after line of accolades to his business acumen many Many comments perhaps made to his possessions and his wealth and what he may have attained on this earth. But it was all for nothing. It would have all been for nothing if a few words couldn't be scratched out on a piece of paper concerning his walk with God. While it is true we can have nothing on earth and still have everything in heaven, it is equally true that we can have everything on earth and completely miss the mark. And that's not to say that being wealthy automatically disqualifies a person from entering in. However, Jesus said this in Matthew 19 and 23. He said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Hard sayings, very 
difficult things to understand and hear. But what the reality of this all comes down to is not what we have or what we don't have. It all comes down to trust. Lazarus' story this day, 2023, and many years preceding, cuts against the grain of many spiritual speakers, spiritual gurus, and televangelists of today. The pseudo-spiritual, semi-secular voices of our day say that if you don't currently live in a huge house, if you don't currently experience exponential financial growth, then something must be wrong with you. Now, I'm not promoting by any means any kind of ignorance or intentional poverty I'm not supporting minimalism or some sort of Eastern culture or some Eastern religion. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should just give away everything just for the sake of looking like we're giving away everything and looking like we're living in this minimalist situation. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm also equally not supporting that whose people, these families or whatever it may be that, that don't own a million-dollar house or, or drive a $175,000 car or some living some $600 uh, pair of shoes every day of their life is somehow missing the mark with God. We have to find balance. Because God's will is simply this, to bless us. His will is to bless us. I'm going to say it a third time. His will is to bless us. But it is to bless us with what we need on this earth. But more than that, more than anything, God is much more interested in us being right with Him and ready for heaven. Everything else is material, immaterial. Everything else is side stuff. Everything else just really doesn't matter in the overall health and wealth of, of, of where we are today. We, we don't have to be healthy. I know that sounds rough. We don't have to be wealthy in order to gain God's approval. And health and wealth are not a mark of God's approval just as much as poverty and sickness are not necessarily God's disapproval. You can battle sickness and you can live paycheck to paycheck but you can be a good steward of what God has placed in your hand and what God has blessed you with and you can absolutely make heaven your home. But hear me this morning, on the flip side, you can live without any worry in your life because you have the means to answer the need yourself with your own wealth or your own tenacity and grossly miss the mark because it always Always, always, it was, it will, and it always will be come down to trust. Let me say it like this. I can't allow the deficit or the supposed deficit to cause me to lose confidence in God because he hasn't provided me with everything and everything that, that I feel like should be provided to me, so to speak. But on the other end of the spectrum, I can't allow myself to trust in the things that I possess because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from Him. It's all from Him 
anyway. And so what matters most is that I place my trust in the God of the riches if I'm rich and place my trust in the God who can make up the difference of what I supposedly lack. Because in every season, in this season, and in the next, in every circumstance, it's Him that I place all of my trust. When we are born again, and when we are living a life that honors and glorifies God, we are, hear me now, no matter where you are and what station you are in life, if you have given your life to Him and you are living a life that is honoring Him and is glorifying Him, you are blessed in this life and you are abundantly blessed in this world. No matter how much or how little you have. And so here's the blessing. Here's the blessing. Here is the blessing. The blessing that we have is now. The blessing that we have in this place right now is now. We're blessed right now. Can you hear me? Somebody just... Just say it in your own heart and in your mind. I'm blessed right now. I'm in this house. I might not have a, a food in the pantry. I might not know where my next paycheck is coming from. Or I may not have a worry in my mind. I'm blessed right now. Not one of us, not some of us, but all of us are blessed right now. We're blessed. Not because we have a car in the parking lot or clothes on our back. Whether we do or don't, we're all blessed. We're blessed right now because we're blessed to be here. We're blessed to be in this house. We're blessed to be in this service where two or three are gathered together in his name. He's promised to be in the midst of them. And the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so when we come here and when we have the opportunity to seek him and to bless him and to feel him and to be touched by him when Jesus is in the room we have the ability to praise him and to lift our voices and the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people and so we're blessed we're blessed in this house right now in this atmosphere because it's here we have the choice to turn ourselves our lives, our hearts, our minds over to Him and allow Him to do with whatever He pleases to do. And hear me, when you turn it over and when you give it to Him, the outcome will always be in order. It will always be right. And it can happen right now. It can happen right now. I know this is supposed to be Bible study, and I know this is supposed to be teaching, but I don't really know how to do that. This is all I know how to do. And so I'm telling you right now, this morning, that if you need something from God, it can happen right now. If you need deliverance, it can happen right now. If you need His Spirit, it can happen right now. We're not waiting on it. We're not seeing if it's going to arrive. It's here now. It's not something that we're going after. We've already got it. It's already here. 
Joel prophesied it, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, and also upon the handmaids and the servants I will pour out my spirit. Joel prophesied it. Peter reiterated it, and we are living in it. Joel prophesied it. He said it's coming. Peter said it's here, and hear me, it's still here. It's not gone anywhere. It's not canonized on some bookshelf somewhere. His spirit is here, and his spirit is available. Now. Now. Today is the day of salvation. Today, not tomorrow, not next week, it's today. His Spirit is here today. It's available today. And He's willing today. But I don't want to bring this down. But we have to talk about a very stark reality. Now is not forever. Now is fleeting. Because equally as it is here now, there will come a day that it will no longer be available. And just as heaven is real, just as we can experience it, it's not a pipe dream. This is not a storytelling time. It's a real place. And just as real as it is, so is the existence of a very real hell. We see a very frightful picture painted in the parable. Jesus tells a horrifying tale in Luke 16. Verse 22, he said, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. The unwritten lines between verses 22 and 23 of the 16th chapter of the book of Luke portray the imminence and the immediacy of the rich man's death to his awareness of where he arrived. Furthermore, it establishes the proof positivity that earthly riches cannot save, exempt, or prevent the inevitability of his destination. If money could have somehow served to purchase his transportation from that place, it is certain that he would have paid any price there were. Notwithstanding, the possibility was simply non-existent. There was no amount of money that could reverse the outcome. Perhaps symbolism, yet no less traumatizing. Jesus tells the tale. The rich man was fully aware of his surroundings. He was fully cognizant of his situation with a vivid memory. He looked across the expanse between where he was in the outer darkness and allow me for just a moment 
to use my own imagination. Amid the screaming and the other people experiencing the similar torment, the audible sounds of the flames perpetually melting skin as bones crack and sinews shrink under the intense heat of the flame. He looks out and he sees a familiar face or faces. It's Lazarus and Abraham fully aware of where he is and what he is seeing. He sees a face that looks familiar but it doesn't look the same as what he once knew. It's not the Lazarus that he saw laying outside of the gate. There are no more sores. His skin is healthy. His countenance has changed. The once Crease lines that mapped his face from the shame and the disease that ravaged his body have now given away to a relaxed and peaceful expression. And in his torment, not only is he experiencing the pain and the agony of the flame, but he is experiencing the torment of seeing Lazarus in eternal peace. You see, not only is the torment of being in eternal hell anguishing, and causing the anguish, it is the knowledge of those who chose to place their trust in God and are experiencing an eternal peace in heaven, a place of which he will never, ever set foot. And it is with that knowledge that he makes this request. Verse 24, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. He called him by his name, Abraham. More interestingly, he called him Father Abraham. Do you remember I said earlier, the Jews had no more a, a, a hiding, hiding member of their patriarchal society than Father Abraham. You see, this interesting terminology gives us a very clear indication or an insight that he was a Jew. A Jew, a Jew that no doubt knew a thing or two about the law, the law, the word. He had a few experience with it, no, ma no, no matter what you might think. You see, the Jews are brought up as children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He said, you'll talk about it when you sit down. You'll talk about it when you get up. You'll talk about it when you go to bed. And you'll talk about it when you get up in the morning. You'll put it on the doorpost. You'll put it between your eyes. You won't forget about it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He knew the Torah. He knew the Word. He knew the law. He had brushed up against it a time or two. But now, for all eternity, he would remember. For all of eternity, he would remember the chances that he had to get right with God. All the altar calls. All, all, all the times that he could have prayed and he didn't and he chose not to. All the messages that he heard came back to him in his ears that he listened to and he heard but he left un, unchanged, unresponsive he wished he would have valued his soul on this earth more than his earthly wealth but it's here where the finality and the final perspective is gained for how truly priceless the soul's worth compared to the gain of the world 
But it's here. It's here when the proper perspective is attained. If he could just get some relief here. If he could just get that water. If he could just get the cooling hand of Lazarus as it touches him to temporarily assuade his pain. But it's here for us today. It's there that's simply too late to gain that perspective. Out of the torment, from the midst of his anguish, went the languished request. But what followed was the stark reality and the definitive statement as answered Abraham in verse 25. Son, remember, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things but now he is comforted and thou art tormented to be certain it all came flooding back to be certain every memory every missed opportunity every inaction every hesitation every neglect while it is certainly plausible that there will be those in heaven that live life on this earth in a state of wealth one thing remains in the most truest sense those who lived life on earth in whatever state that they found themselves in, unrepented, will spend eternity in a place where there is no relief, where there is only pain, and where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice in the parable, Jesus never mentions or alludes to the fact that the rich man was evil. Maybe he was a philanthropist. Perhaps he gave millions to children's hospitals. Maybe he just gave everything he had, or at least some of it, to leprosy research. Maybe, just possibly he did. We don't know. Only we have speculation. But can I tell you this morning, without any disrespect, but there are many like him today that by the world standards... They're good people. They're good people and they're doing good things. I don't want to be just a good person doing good things. I want to be right with God. I want my heart to be secure. I want my salvation to be secure. You see, I don't want to be like all the others because my purpose is not to diminish or degrade those things. Uh, in the case of the rich man, it's not really and truly what he did not do. Or what he had, or what, or, or what he did, it, it's that he did not repent. He did not repent of his sins, and he did not get his soul right with God. And that created the chasm that he's looking across. As Abraham adends his response, it just wasn't enough. He just had to keep going. He said, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot neither can they pass to us that would come from thence another element in the finality of the circumstance Abraham further sobers the atmosphere by explaining to him that the chasm between is absolutely fixed the gulf between is immovable and insurmountable. 
hear me now, there are not degrees to this. There are not some that will halfway make it and they'll just kind of rest in between. There's not others that are going to totally miss the mark and wind up in the bottomless pit. And there's not some that are going to wind up ba- ba- barely on the outskirts of heaven just, just enough to just see inside the gate. There is no degree. It is either heaven or it is either hell. It is either life or it is either death. And Jesus said, choose you this day which one you're going to do. Is it going to be life or is it going to be death? It's immovable. It's insurmountable. And so if being in the presence of God is what makes heaven heaven, it is without speculation that separation from God is truly what makes hell the torment described. Not all encompassing hell's unquenchable flame or the memory of the messages preached and the altars ignored and the inaction taken. What truly makes hell torment is eternal separation from the God who created you because between heaven and hell I'm going to say it again is a great gulf fixed and there is no bridging or closing the gap now knowing his final destination the decision that is irreversible and cannot be overturned the rich man makes one final plea and he said I pray thee therefore father that thou wouldest send him to my father's house for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment not wanting anyone to experience what he is experiencing especially his family the rich man attempts to compel Abraham to send Lazarus to witness to his brothers of the torment but really and truly Lazarus cannot testify of that because he doesn't know what that feels like you see the rich man believes that if somehow Lazarus can be resurrected from the dead that his testimony would propel those who had not gotten themselves right with God to get their lives in order. He believes that the miraculous nature of the encounter would intensify and solidify their action toward the things of God. Before it's too late for them, please, please, before it's too late for them, before they have reached their end, please warn them. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them and he said unto them again if they not if they hear not Moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead they have Moses and the prophets hear me now I'm coming I'm coming to a close as quickly as I can that they have Moses and the prophets it refers to the law and the Old Testament prophets earlier in the in the gospel of Luke Jesus said this concerning the law and the prophets. He said the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. You see in the overall context of scripture Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God and urgently persuading humanity to respond. The law and the prophets represent the old order while the kingdom of God preaching began to eclipse the law. However, 
while it began to eclipse, it did not hide or it did not overrule the law and the prophets. Hear me now. What Jesus began to proclaim was bridged by John the Baptist preaching on repentance. It was brought together by his proclaiming a voice crying in the wilderness make ye the way of the Lord Jesus' teaching did not separate or override but it complemented and it heightened the moral fabric of the law with kingdom ethics and found true and full fulfillment Jesus told this story to highlight the absolute importance of the word hear me miracles signs and wonders are all absolutely necessary and they are for us in this day that is my disclaimer but more importantly more than miracles more than signs more than wonders is what Jesus said I would that all come to repentance you see the rich man pleaded with Abraham send Lazarus just send Lazarus a miracle would show them a miracle would warn them but what Abraham responded with is where we find ourselves here today the warning is already going forth the warning is already being published the warning the caution the admonishment the deterrent the reproof the correction the instruction it's all found in the word of God everything that we need everything that we need correction is important a warning, admonishment, but we can also find hope. We can also find our salvation. We can also find protection and joy and love. And we have been given an absolute true gift here today. We have it and we hold it and we admire it and we hold it close to us. And if we choose to supply ourselves and our lives with it, hear me, the outcome will always be in order and I'll say it again we can have it and we can have it right now while no one who has truly experienced eternal torment can return to us or to share in their experience to prompt us into action we have the word to admonish us and to direct our paths and to ensure our destination will not be that place stand with me this morning The rich man's story has been written. His eternal destination has been sealed forever. This is serious. It's done. We can read his end here. But let me tell you something. There's another story. That hasn't been written. It's been started. But it hasn't been finalized. And that's your story. And that's my story. It's not over. It's not over yet. Because we have right now. Right now we stand in the presence of a living God. Right now we stand with a very important choice to make. And right now 
we stand in absolute and utter blessing to have the opportunity to make that decision. More than your goals that you set for tomorrow. More than the choice as to how you will spend the rest of your afternoon today. Even more important than the next breath you take will be the decision that you will make to either live or not live for the living God. It doesn't matter who you are. Somebody help me. It doesn't matter what you own. It doesn't matter what your aspirations of life are. It doesn't matter what your achievements are or your lack thereof. No matter your socioeconomic station in life. No matter your gender or your age or your race or your ethnic background. There is no earthly law or no man-made mandate. There is no physical or even spiritual limitation upon you today keeping you from making that decision. It's yours. It belongs to you. You're the only one that can make it and it's been given and if we choose him if we choose to obey his word and give ourselves to God's purpose for our lives we are promised promised not a maybe and not a hope so but we are promised an abundant life here on this earth and we are promised an eternal reward in heaven and so what do you say in the next 30 seconds why don't we make that decision it won't take long it just takes but a moment you can close your eyes and you can lift your hands and you can cry out to God and he will do just what he did with Lazarus he will come to you he will save you he will restore you he will renew you he will deliver you from your sins hear me if you need to be baptized today you come to the right place if you need deliverance today you're in the right house if you've come to be filled with his spirit he can fill you because he is here and he is here right now come on let's lift our hands for just another moment let's lift our voices for just another moment and thank him for his word and for his promise Lord we love you and we thank you we've come to this house to do one thing and that is to lift up the name that is above every name it is to give you praise and it is to receive the promise of the father that you said if we will show if we will come if we will glorify and lift you up that you would draw all men unto you and so we're here to do it now we're here to give you all the glory and all the honor because God you're the only one who is worthy of it in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name come on one more time clap your hands to the Lord and praise him because he's worthy this message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church we pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.